بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to Misk Women and our podcast The Beginning of Guidance for Muslim Women My name is Um Abdullah and I'm happy to welcome you back to another episode in Ramadan. I hope everybody is making the most of their time and spending it in ways that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah really benefiting from the opportunity to reflect and ponder and rectify ourselves and our outward and internal states inshallah. Let's commence with our dua from Imam Haddad as is our usual practice. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Nawaitu ta'alamu wa ta'alim wa tadhakkaru wa tadhkir wa nafa'u al-intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha 'ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulih wa du'a ila al-huda wa dalalata 'ala al-khair ibtigha'a wajhillahi wa maratatihi wa qurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala I have indicated that the translation for this dua is on the Instagram page Misk Women however it's probably easier just to read the translation here so inshallah I'll start doing that This very great and all encompassing dua means All praise to Allah, Lord of the worlds. I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to call to guidance, direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, his divine pleasure, closeness and his reward, the most exalted and high. Amen. In our last episode, we finished the rather lengthy and comprehensive introduction of Imam Ghazali, and he finished up by saying to us, "What is the beginning of guidance, so that I might test myself and know where I am with regards to it?" And he says that the beginning is the outward form of taqwa, and the guidance and the end of it is the inward reality of taqwa he mentions that taqwa is divided into two parts the dahir the external and the batin the internal and it is from there that we will move into the first section of the book which is on the topic of the outer forms of taqwa the first part and he has titled it fitaat which means on obedience I would like to pause for a moment at that word obedience and have a look what it means in terms of the current western cultural context because it's a word that has been really stripped of its value and its nobility and has come to be something rather disparaged and mocked and degraded and the problem is that this has only happened on one level and not on two levels it's happened on a moral level whereby now in western culture and probably since the 1960s when there was a definitely the sexual revolution and major changes to people's moral values and lifestyles that obedience is something that previously had held 
a high religious and social value, being obedient to one's parents or certainly showing them honour and good manners for a wife to be obedient to her husband in a a Judeo-Christian valued society, for people to obey their school teachers and to show respect to authority is something that changed significantly and rather we live in a time now which is marked by rebellion, which is the opposite of obedience. However, the rebellion that's really going on in Western society is an inward or an internal rebellion, not an external rebellion. So while it looks like through, for example, protesting issues such as climate change or some personal rights or freedoms that people feel might be under attack or taken away through legislation or whatever is the issue at the time. That's the area that looks like there's the most rebellion, but it actually isn't because people outwardly are in a very obedient situation through their work, through their lifestyle, through the demands that banks and financial institutions put on people, through the hours that employers impose on people and through the need for people to adhere to fairly rigid patterns of behaviour and what are considered normal lifestyles in order to achieve and acquire for themselves particularly financial stability and the means to acquire the things that they want. So the consumer lifestyle is very, very much grounded on and needing people to obey certain norms and regulations in order to make sure that the economy keeps going properly and that people can buy the things that they feel they need to make them happy. However, on the internal level, which is people's moral compasses, people's spiritual compasses and the lifestyles which emanate from that, are quite a different story and they are marked with a real rebelliousness away from the things which we know to be good and tayyib and wholesome and that actually serve to create a prosperous society and rather people have turned to all types of moral and spiritual degradation and thinking that this is a means for their freedom, for their personal expression and for them to follow their hearts and pursue a lifestyle that they think will give them happiness and success. So within that, the values that were associated with obedience have come to be degraded completely. And instead, what we have is things which are ugly and vile and morally reprehensible being put forward as the things which should be aspired to and which are really the ultimate form of a person's will and their ability to choose and act for themselves. So freedom itself is something which is put forward as a moral choice or a moral imperative, which is to have no barriers, which is to have no chains or restrictions. However, that freedom is a personal freedom. It's not something that's got to do with that breakdown of society on a bigger level because that would be anarchy. So on the on the outer level... There's very much a systematic obedience and adherence to the structures and the aspects of society that would produce an economic stability. Yet on the inner level, 
there's a total chaos which is ensuing and which is causing people to fall into depression and mental illness and suicide and other social ills and problems that are rising and increasing all the time. So why does obedience have such a bad rap, if we put it like that? Because it's something which is said to impinge upon and restrict and threaten a person's choice and freedom and the pursuit of their free will. However, if we look at it from an Islamic point of view, when a person is free from adhering to their lower self, when a person is free from the chains of desire, when they're free from the shackles of needing to follow their ego and their whims and caprices and their seeking of this worldly life and the lowly things within it, and when they set themselves out of that and only wanting to find and get for themselves the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through worshipping him, then indeed they have released themselves thoroughly from the very things that hold a person back from their true development and true expression as a human being. Because what is a human being other than a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah says, I did not create the jinn and the human beings except to worship me. So if we're doing the opposite of that, if we're not worshipping Allah, but rather we're worshipping ourselves and our egos and our worldly goals and desires, then we couldn't be more chained. There's nothing that could possibly hold us back more than to be trapped inside the lowly life of submitting to our base desires and all that comes with that. Instead, we submit with obedience to what Allah has commanded us and we leave in obedience that which he has commanded us to stay away from and that's what it means to obey. And that's very noble and that's very great and that's something that each person should seek to try and fulfill as much as they possibly can in their lifetime, both outwardly and inwardly. Because what is a path to success other than that? And Imam Ghazali goes on to talk about that now. He says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. I'lam anna awamir Allahi Taala faraidu wa nawafil, falfardu rasul man wa bihi tahsulun najah, wa nafluu huwa ribhu wa bihi alfuzu bidarajat. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Qala Allah azza wa jal. ما تقرب إلي المتقربون بمثل أداء ما افترضته عليهم ولا يزال العبد يتقرب إلي بالنوافل حتى أحبه فإذا أحببته كنت سمعه الذي يسمع به وبصره الذي يبصر به ولسانه الذي ينطق به ويده التي يبطش بها Know that the commandments of Allah Most High pertain to the obligatory and voluntary. The obligatory acts constitute the capital by which salvation is attained. The voluntary acts are the profit by which are reached the high levels of success. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah Most High says, those who draw near to me do not draw near to me with anything better than the acts I have made obligatory upon them. And a servant continues to draw nearer to me by voluntary acts of worship until I love him. And when I love him, I become the hearing with which he hears, the sight with which he sees, the tongue with which he speaks, the hand with which he strikes and the foot with which he walks. And that is narrated by Al-Bukhari.
It's also a hadith qudsi, which means that it's not revelation, but the meaning of the hadith was inspired to the Prophet wasallam, and he expressed it in his words, not in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll have a look at this and then we'll have a look at the other sections here. First of all, we're going to read from the commentary of Al-Imam Al-Fakihi. He says that obedience is lil-jawarih wal-qulub, is with the limbs and with the heart. And he says that the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam expressed to us and explained for us. And indeed, la yantiku anil hawa which is a part of the ayah from Surah Al-Najm, which says that he did not speak from his own whims or from himself. He only spoke, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the truth. And he was al-sadiq al-masduq. He was the one who spoke the truth and he was the one who was believed. Obedience is in performing the commandments of the obligatory and the voluntary acts. And Imam al-Fakihi tells us that the obligatory acts are those which are rewarded for their performance and that they are punished for their non-performance. So this is the definition of a fard, of something which is obligatory. And there are five different levels, but we won't go into all. We'll just mention the ones here. And the nawafil are the mandubat, the things that are recommended. And they're the acts that a person is rewarded for performing, but not punished for leaving or for not performing. So there's a difference there. So there is the compulsory and the voluntary. Imam Ghazali calls the compulsory acts Ratsul Man, your capital. So if you think about a financial transaction, you have to have some capital to invest. And for a person, their time is their capital and also their obligatory acts because that's the currency that you're actually trading in. Because when you come before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your deeds are weighed in the scale, then it's the compulsory acts that will be looked at first. And the one compulsory act that will be looked at before anything else is your prayer. And if your prayer is complete, then all your acts will be accepted. And if your prayer is not complete, then all your other acts will be rejected. And the way that a person completes their obligatory prayer is to perform them to the best of their ability, to make them up if they need to, if they know that they've missed them for whatever reason, and then to complement them and to fill in any gaps by the performance of the voluntary or the sunnah prayers, some of which the Prophet ﷺ did regularly and others which he did sometimes but not all the time. There is a lot of extra prayers that a person can perform and there are many benefits of all of them and they're related to certain times and certain places and things like that. It's a whole area on its own. Our point here is that what we invest with in our lifetime is our obligatory acts and it's through the investment of our obligatory acts in the way that we're required to do it that inshallah we will reap the rewards of that. The voluntary acts are those which are like the extra and they are also like extra profit that you will get from your initial investment. So if it is that you have performed your Ramadan fast and you also fast 
regularly throughout the year on the days that are recommended to fast, either weekly or monthly, or the ones that come around yearly, like the day of Arafat or in Muharram, etc. We'll go into that later in that section, inshallah. But they're things that boost your obligatory acts. Imam Ghazali says that it's the performance of the fard and the nawafil, the nafil, the sunnah acts that a person achieves success by and they increase in their ranks, both in the dunya and in the akhirah. The textual proof that he uses here is this very well-known hadith, this hadith Qudsi that we read, and Al-Imam Al-Faqihi explains that by saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that my servant does not draw near to me with anything better than the acts that I have made obligatory upon him. When he says does not draw near to me, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not occupy space or time or have any physical dimension, what it means is that the servant draws closer to his mercy and to his divine presence and to his contentment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the servant continues to draw closer to him in those three things and more in his mercy and in his divine presence and contentment by the performance of the voluntary acts until the person becomes beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That love, that mahabba that Allah has for the servant in that case is the most complete love because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves all of the believers. He loves all of the servants. So there are degrees though. And a person who is keen on making their investment and their trade the best and the most profitable that it could be, would be someone who's seeking to obtain the most complete love, the most complete divine love. When it is that a person attains that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I become the hearing with which he hears, which means that he doesn't hear anything other than what's good and the sight with which he sees. So he doesn't look at things which aren't good and wholesome and tayyib and halal and beautiful. And he only speaks with wisdom when Allah becomes the tongue with which he speaks. And the hand with which he strikes means that the hand with which he does good things and acts of obedience and the foot with which he walks which he, so that he uses his feet to take him to places where he can be the best servant of Allah and obey him and not to have his feet take him to places which would be displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Clearly, the summary of this hadith is that when a person performs what they have to perform and the extra things, then they are engaging in acts of obedience and Allah will increase the person in acts of obedience encompassing them in his mercy and in the blessing of being in his divine presence. This leads us to another major concept, which is that of ihsan. When a person is blessed with that complete love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah actually raises them and increases them from the rank of iman to the rank of ihsan, which is the rank of excellence. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes the means by which he sees and hears and speaks and uses his hands and his feet, then indeed he has come to a point of knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees him. And you might know from the Hadith Jibreel when the Prophet alayhi salatu was asked about Ihsan 
and he said, "And ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tarahu, fa illam ta'kun tarahu, fa innahu yarak." He said, "It's to worship Allah as though you see Him, and if you don't see Him, then know that He sees you." And this is the next paragraph that we will go into. He continues by saying, "Walantasila ayu hatalibu illa alqiyami bi awamir Allahi taala." إلا بمراقبة قلبك وجوارحك في لحظاتك وأنفاسك من حين تمسي إلى حين تصبح فعلم أن الله تبارك وتعالى مطلي على ضميرك ومشرف على ظاهرك وباطنك ومحيط بجميع خطراتك ولحظاتك وخطواتك وسائر سكناتك وحركاتك وأنك في مخالطتك وخلواتك مترددا بين يديه فلا يسكن في الملك والملكوت ساكن ولا يتحرك متحرك إلا وجبار السماوات والأرض مطلي عليه يعلم خائنة الأعين وما تخفي الصدور ويعلم سر وأخفى and you, dear seeker, will not be able to rise to carry out the commandments of Allah Most High until you monitor your heart and limbs in your every moment and breath from the time you wake up until the time you sleep. Know that Allah Most High is closely observing your innermost heart. He beholds your inner and outer being. No thought, moment or step of yours escapes his regard, nor any of your moments of stillness or movement. Both in the company of others and in the solitude of yourself, you are ever in his presence. In both the hidden and manifest dominions, nothing that is still is still, and nothing that moves, moves, but the compeller of the heavens and the earth is aware of it. Then the Quran, he knows the treachery of the eyes and what is concealed in the breasts, which is chapter 40, verse 20. And he knows the secret and what is still more hidden. Chapter 20, verse 6. This section requires us to look at a key concept in spiritual purification called muraqaba, which is observing yourself, putting yourself under surveillance and making sure that you know what you are doing and why and when. And this is a core concept in this whole book. We've had a bit of a discussion on it before in some of the other episodes and here it comes back to us full force and we're going to take a little sidestep into book 38 of the Ihiyalumuddin which is on this topic of observing oneself and taking oneself to account, muhasaba, and just have a bit of a look at that because that's really at the core of Ihsan. When a person knows that Allah is observing them, then they start to look more closely at themselves and bring themselves back into alignment with the commands and prohibitions of Allah. And this is our core meaning of taqwa, because taqwa is the performance of what is obligated and the leaving of what is prohibited. And a person cannot do that unless they are watching themselves and observing themselves and making sure that they are in control. Imam Ghazali, in that book 38, he uses the analogy of business. And he says that the aql, which is the rational intellectual faculty, and the nafs, the lower self, are in an inextricable type of arrangement, whereby the aql, which is the reasonable aspect, has to try and control the rather unruly lower self. 
And it's as though they go into a business agreement where they have conditions and they know that it's only by working well together that they will be able to profit in their business. The business, of course, is the business of the afterlife and attaining success in it. And so the uncle has to make sure that the nafs complies to the conditions of the business agreement. If it is that they have invested in a particular action and then the nafs goes off and uses it in the wrong way, then the nafs will come back with a result which is not intended or sought. For example, in a business deal, if you have two partners and one is the more intelligent business-minded and the other one is a good talker and a good salesperson, When the more stable one sends the other one off to go and do the transactions and sell the goods, it might be that the person gets distracted, they might sell them for the wrong price, they might uh, buy the wrong thing and come back with rocks instead of diamonds. They might end up destroying or messing up the whole business project. So what happens is the akal, the rational side, has to make sure that the nafs complies to the conditions of the business to being able to be taken to account for what happens with the transactions, for being reprimanded and disciplined, and for continuing on the struggle with making sure that all the things required for the transaction to be profitable are taking place. This is what happens inside the person when they observe themselves with muraqaba. They have to make sure that the conditions are being met. So am I praying in its time? Am I praying properly? Have the conditions of the prayer been met? Am I facing the qibla? Am I dressed properly? Do I have purification, etc.? Then if the person is not doing those things properly, they need to be uh, reprimanded and told by yourself, of course, oh no, I'm not doing this right, I need to fix myself up, or I need discipline, which might be in the form of, okay, I've missed my Fajr prayer, so now I'm going to make it up in another time, as soon as possible. There are methods that the pious people have always used to make sure that they comply, that the lower self complies with what the rational part is telling them to do for the best and most profitable outcome in their investment. And remember that Imam Ghazali said that it's your obligatory acts which are which is your capital. That's what you're investing in your afterlife. Imam Ghazali tells us that we need to take stock of our heart and our limbs in every moment and with every breath from when we wake in the morning until we retire at night. And we need to know that Allah is always looking at our damir. And uh, the damir is a word that can be used for the heart and also for the consciousness. Allah knows what we think before we think it. He knows what we are going to do before we do it. And all that has been written before we even came into the earth. Allah is the one who is in control of everything. He is the compeller and he's the all-powerful. And he knows that every being, celestial and earthly and otherwise, he knows what is going on with them at all times. And nothing moves or is still or speaks or acts or thinks except without, number one, his knowledge of that and the fact that he's created that. And secondly, that he's gazing upon it and seeing that. There is a story of a, of a great uh, Gnostic called Sahala Tustari 
And when he was a child, he was raised by his uncle because he was orphaned. And his uncle was a very pious man, also an Arif, a Gnostic, and he taught him a few lines to say before he slept. So when he was six years old, one time he took him aside and he said, I'm going to teach you something and you must say it every night before you go to sleep. Sahal, as a young boy, he listened to that and he said, Say to yourself, Inna Allah ma'i, Inna Allah shahidi, Inna Allah nadirun alayya. Which means, indeed Allah is with me and he witnesses me, and he is looking at me. And some people will add a few more things, but that's the basic meaning. So the little boy used to say that to himself, and then his uncle would tell him, okay, now for the next few weeks, say it three times every time you sleep, and five times, etc., till he got to 11 times. And he said that he used to repeat this to himself until he tasted the sweetness of it, which means until he actually understood in his entire being what it meant to know that Allah was watching him and it was from that point that he could start to take himself to account. There's another story in Risalatul Kushairiya, Al-Kushairi's book, The Principles of Sufism, and he tells of a teacher who was particularly fond of a student and the other students in the class were jealous and they wanted to know why the teacher liked this student so much. So one day the teacher came with some chickens and he gave each student a chicken and he said, go and slaughter this chicken in a place where no one will see you. So they all went off and the next day the teacher asked them, where did you slaughter your chicken? And then each of the students told him, oh, I went behind the house or I went down to the river or I went into the forest or wherever it was that they'd gone. And he deliberately left his favourite student until last. And finally he asked him, where did you slaughter your chicken? And he said, I didn't. And the teacher said, why not? And he said, because there is nowhere that Allah doesn't see me. And then the other students knew why the teacher liked him so much. Al-Imam Ghazali continues in the last section and he says, فَتَأَدَّبْ أَيُّهَا الْمِسْكِينُ ظَاهِرًا وَبَاطِنًا بَيْنَ يَدَيْ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى تَأَدَّبَ الْعَبْدِ الدَّلِيلِ الْمُذْنِبِ فِي حَضْرَةِ الْجَبَّارِ الْقَهَارِ وَاجْتَهِدْ أَنْ لَا يَرَاكَ مَوْلَاكَ حَيْثُ نَهَاكَ وَلَا يَفْقِدَكَ حَيْثُ أَمَرَكَ وَلَنْ تَقْدِرَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ إِلَّا بِأَنْ تُوَزِّعَ أَوْقَاتَكَ وَتُرَتَّبَ أَوْرَادَكَ مِنْ صَبَاحِكَ إِلَى مَسَائِكَ فَاصْغِيَ إِلَى مَا يُلْقَى إِلَيْكَ مِنْ أَوَامِرِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى عَلَيْكَ مِنْ حِينَ تَسْتَيْقِظُ مِنْ مَنَامِكَ إِلَى وَقْتِ رُجُوعِكَ إِلَى مَضْجَعِكَ Therefore, O miskeen, O destitute one, he says as he addresses the students, cultivate a deep courtesy with the divine to adab, have adab, in your outer self as well as your inner self, the courtesy and bearing of a humble, erring slave in the presence of his supreme, all-powerful master. Make your greatest effort that he not find you present where he has forbidden you to be, nor find you absent from where he has commanded you to be. You will never be capable of this unless you manage your time and organize your routine of worship from morning to night. So pay attention to what is presented to you here concerning the commands that Allah Most High has laid upon you from the time you awake from your sleep until the time you return to your bed. Al-Imam Jawi tells us about the adab. So when Imam Ghazali says, فَتَأَدَّبْ أَيُّهَا الْمِسْكِينَ ظَاهِرًا وَبَاطِنًا 
So have good manners, you poor creature, outwardly and inwardly, he says, with five different things. The first is with your limbs. Make sure that your limbs are being maintained and the performing acts that they should be performing and that they are refraining from the things that they should be refraining from. The second is the heart. Make sure that your heart is present with Allah and try to achieve that. Try to make sure that your heart is pure of things like anger and jealousy and arrogance and Later on in the second part of the book, we go into that in detail. The third is uh, have adab with your good character. So speak kindly and nicely, respect the old and look after the young and continue to improve yourself and your etiquette and conduct with people. The fourth is very important and a sign of a person's having good adab and good manners with Allah is that they oppose the callings of the lower self and they try to rid themselves of it. An example of that would be too much on the phone, too much watching things and allowing the nafs to run away with you so that the nafs, the lower self, the self that constantly commands to evil, is no longer in charge of you but rather you are in charge of that because you have, you have self-discipline and you have routine and you're able to control yourself. And the fifth is to make sure that you don't get overtaken with an excessive love for this world and leadership in it because it's seeking leadership that is the cause for many people to fall off the path and to bring about their own ruin because with it comes the seeking of wealth and social status and all things that can taint and spoil a person's heart. Al-Jawi gives us advice as to how we might start to make better choices for ourselves, And he says, first of all, if you want to do something, whatever it is, know that Allah is present and watching you. And if it is that the thing that you want to do is good, then go ahead and do it with a humbleness in your limbs and with khushur, doing it with a humbleness and a gentleness, which doesn't go out there and call everybody to you um, and doesn't where you don't make a show of yourself and stand out in front of people for the sake of it and put yourself out there like a performance act. No, you go ahead and do what is the right thing to do in a humble and good and wholesome way. And if it is the opposite of that, then leave it fearing that Allah will not be pleased with you. Imam Ghazali says, so strive to make sure that Allah doesn't find you in a place where he has prohibited you from being. That could be a physical place and it could also be a state of your heart and also that he doesn't miss seeing you in a place that he's ordered you to be. If it is that he's ordered you to pray, then go to your prayer mat and pray there in the time in which you need to pray. If he's ordered you to be good to your neighbours, then make sure that he sees you extending some goodness towards them through a smile or through giving them some food or sharing some sweets or something that you have, and at the very least not hurting or harming them or abusing them. Al-Jawi advises us to use all our effort in trying to avoid places of disobedience or any acts of disobedience and in trying to perform the acts of obedience so that we can acquire the object of what is intended 
which is to have proper adab, proper etiquette, proper conduct, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is observing us and in doing so make sure that our taqwa, which is the fulfillment of the commandments and the avoidance of the prohibitions, is performed to the extent that is possible for us at any given moment, inshallah. Finally, Imam Ghazali tells us that we won't be able to attain any of those things or prosper in any of those things unless we have a proper tartib. A tartib is a routine or a schedule. The point of that is to make sure that our time, which is what we invest also along with our deeds, is used in the best possible way and in the fullest way. And in order to do that, Al-Jawi tells us that we need to prioritize to make sure that at any given moment and in any place that we do what we're meant to do at that time. And every part of the day has its own barakah and its own blessing and it has in it certain acts which are commanded and acts which are recommended and we go into that throughout the course of the book, inshallah. The thing is we need to make sure that we take advantage of the time that we have in this very short lifetime. It's only a few years really that we're here on the face of the earth and a person who has taqwa is a person who understands that they need to use the time that they're given in the best possible way and with the best possible state of heart so that inshallah when their last breath passes by them and when their last dollar when their last bit of sustenance is used up that they move on into the next life in the best state possible inshallah inshallah we'll leave it there and continue next episode with the section on the etiquettes of waking up from sleep and dressing because that is how the day starts inshallah i look forward to joining you Please forgive me for my shortcomings and make dua for all of us, for all the ummah, inshallah, for our rectification and for the betterment of our affairs, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.